Join spiritual feminist and empowerment coach Joni Advent Maher for Trust Your Sacred Feminine Flow. Listen in for intimate conversations about money, transformation, and feminine sovereignty. And now, your host, Joni Advent Maher. Welcome to Trust Your Sacred Feminine Flow. I'm your host, Joni Advent Maher, empowered living coach and spiritual feminist. And today I am delighted to share with you Janet Evergreen. Welcome, Janet. Thank you, Joni. Mm. Let me tell everyone a little bit more about you. So Janet is a cosmic grandmother, also known as Abuelo Cosmico, and she lives and teaches in Charlottesville, Virginia. She also travels and teaches twice a year for a month at a time at the Anepe School, which is a community devoted to popular education in Quito, Ecuador. Her joy is personal growth, healing from trauma, touch skills, somatic and pre and perinatal education to access and support our original potential in a way that is slow enough to be kind and present. Ah, big sigh with that one. <laughs> yes. Yes. <sighs> yeah, so that idea of being slow enough to be kind and present is a hallmark of my experience with you and all the ways that I have engaged with you as a student, as a friend, as a client. <clears throat> yeah. Getting right down to the core of things. Yes. Pause and listen. Yes, and it is in my experience, the essence of the feminine. Yes, that's right. Yes. And while you don't necessarily in your teaching talk specifically about the feminine per se, my experience of your way of being and teaching and all that you transmit is just embodying that. So I just want to name and acknowledge that first. Thank you. So there's so much we can unpack here from your, your brief bio, and I know it just scratches the surface, but I would love to just start with just your journey of how did you get to the place <laughs> where that idea of being slow enough to be kind and present uh, was a living principle for you. How, and that may be a big question, but, but just what you know of that right now. Mm -hmm. Well, I just want to start with my experience of being a child in a very 
complex family and family that had a lot of community involvement and beauty and also a lot of suffering. Mm. And I could always feel those currents of the family's needs and the family's, what was spoken and what was not spoken. And I often would be found alone and sitting quietly. It was my way for as long as I can remember. Hmm. And I was so touched in my young adult years. Maybe I was in my 20s when I studied with the Cherokee, the Native American um, teachings in the Northeast of the United States in Vermont. And my teacher, Venerable Dahani Yawahu, who is a 27th generation lineage carrier, said the way that they would look for the future healers in their community was to go amongst the children and look at them and make deep eye contact and say, are you the one? Are you the one? Are you the one who hears the cries of the people? Uh, And I knew, I I wish somebody had asked me that when I was a child. (laughs) I've been waiting to be seen for who I was and the medicine I carried and Mm. the light that I carried. People would tell me they could see so much in me and I had so much wisdom but they wouldn't say and we're here to protect that we're here to help you we're here to to show you how to be the light in a world where there's so much darkness and suffering in a way that um you'll be protected and nurtured Mm. that your gifts will be um shown to you in a gentle way so I learned the hard way Um, I really learned the hard way and faced a lot of suffering myself and survived things that no child should have to survive. Mm. And yet always I could return to this place of inner silence and stillness. And I actually heard teachers from the time I was very young. Um, And later when I met some of my adult teachers, it was like they had always been there for me, whispering in my ear and helping me to keep my heart intact through great suffering. Yes. I feel like I was a lucky in that way. Um, Many people who experienced the kinds of childhood experiences that I lived um, don't have the same resiliency because they felt alone. I never felt alone. Mm. So you felt held. Was it both the community within your family as well as this kind of deeper community within you or what can you explain? Both, both. My um, 
family was part of a very tight Jewish community. Mm -hmm. And there was a sisterhood. They called themselves a sisterhood. It was one of their functions was to watch for, out for each other and watch out for the children. And they really did it. One of my teachers, my early preschool teacher, was tattooed on her arm from her life in the concentration camp mm -hmm. as a child. And, you know, her intention was to take care of children and to show them the light and the hope in the world, in the world, in a world that is sometimes very dark and very even evil. Um, so these are the kinds of people who held me. Mm. Hmm. Oh, it's very, it's very touching and powerful. And I, I certainly relate as uh, one of those children who heard the cries of the people. So it's, uh, it just touches my heart because I hadn't heard that part of your story. And I, I know that you are very devoted in your spiritual practice. And it seems like that is also a source of, um, of that resilience and strength for you. Can you share just about your particular practice and and how that has been a resource for you? Sure. I'd like to talk about it in three parts. That growing up, I was aware of the outer journey. You know, how could people work together? How could we face issues of peace and justice in the world? How could we create a world where the diversity of cultures enriches us all? That was part of my growing up, part of the intellectual community of conversation and motivation to create um, change in the world. And I followed that thread through my whole life, uh, politically and actively and um, community-wise. Then there's the inner journey, that part of me that knew to sit and listen, that knew to be in nature and ride my emotions and feel the pain and feel and learn from my own experience, you know, to really be bathed in self-compassion and and self-acceptance as I followed my emotional process, the disappointments, the failures, the hardships, as well as the breakthroughs and the, the moments of, yes, we're, something good is happening. Mm. And the third part that I, uh, you mentioned that is one of my gifts is to enjoy, love, embrace the biological interface of these journeys. Where is it in my body? How can I actually change the health in my body? Um, the imprints on my cells that are genetic with the material of the creative force of epigenetics, you know, really believing that as I change, my genetics change. Mm. 
possibility of a family that has generations of trauma to become a, a new template for the health that would have been there if there had not been the impositions and the imprints of trauma, negative beliefs, double binds, literally being fascinated by watching the light change my body mm. over and over and witnessing that that's teachable, that's shareable, um, it crosses um, cultures, you know, it's naming the ideal of who are we as beings of light and what would that look like if it could really be expressed. Mm. Yes, and I I love that it 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 doesn't deny the pain or the suffering, that it it meets it and really transmutes it or heals it in a way that has permanent and lasting change. That's right. And that's what we want. You know, that's where the outer journey and the inner journey matter. Yes. Yes. So one of the pieces that you and I had spoken about earlier before getting on the interview was um, just the idea of suffering and suffering within families and the role that we as women play. Mm -hmm. um, and you know that I'm in the midst of a family crisis at the moment. And you had some very wise and supportive words. Um, so would love to just hear you share with our listeners what you know about the feminine and her way of holding us as we hold the pain in our families or the suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how important that is that we as women can not be isolated in that, but be able to say, I'm suffering today. I need support today. Mm. Um, without getting stuck in the story of, who said what and what happened, but lightly naming that and then saying, and so what is it that I have to offer this moment? And how can I offer it in a way without self-harming, mm. without exhausting myself? Mm -hmm. um, because we're called on, we're called on every moment, really, it seems like right now to hold and care for and meet very, very difficult times. It's a very difficult time on this planet. And the emotions that we as women and the feminine in all of us, men and women, how do we hold that? How do we hold these terrible times? Hmm. And hold a place for change. Hmm. You know, something is ripening, really coming to the surface to be able to say, great, great, 
something is finally coming out so that we can like wrestle with it. <laughs> Instead of going, oh no, I'm running the other way, which may be my first impulse. Well, but I think actually it's not. My first impulse is what can I do? I have that in me. I face adversity as, <laughs> as a first you know, response. Um, with like, wow, wow, look at this. Hmm. Take a breath, see how it touches me. What do I know? I've lived a long time. I've seen a lot of struggle. My life, my family's life. I live in a blended family of biological and adopted children, and I raised foster kids, and I've been really deeply connected with my community and so much birth and life and death. And, you know, here we are in this amazing time of, of the world, really having, it looks like birth pain. <laughs> Yes, it's quite so a labor. Messy. Yes, it's painful, and and then you know how do how do I be as a midwife? I've been at births. Oh, there it is. Just trust the process. Mm. Take a breath. Less is more. Watch that mother struggle. Watch that baby come down the birth canal, and keep saying, "That's right." Baby's coming. That's right. It's happening. Ah, <clears throat> nothing to do, really. <sighs> Holding that space. Mm -hmm. and if the impulse comes up, oh, we should do something. Remembering that a mother who's in labor and people who start doing something, they stop the labor. Mm. Let me take your blood pressure. Let me listen to the baby's heartbeat. Let me examine you. Labor stops. Let me give you space. Let me open to the divine feminine that holds us all. Let my heart really rest down and back so that I'm not leaning in or making anything happen. But I am opening and trusting holding that field, making eye contact with anybody else in the field and saying, that baby's coming. This is going to happen. Hmm. Yeah, so there's an innate trust in the process in life that I hear being expressed through you. Mm -hmm. That it's, it's safe to trust our bodies the larger matrix that's holding us, mm -hmm. that it's, it's safe to trust that. And to do that, I need to be able to watch my mind, mm. you know, the impulse to do something, the impulse to fix and contain that. Right, right. So when you think about just the way that we as women hold hold the pain or the suffering within our families and, and that piece about the where do I step in and take action, where do I uh, let go, so to speak, and allow the process to happen is can be a, can be a tricky one. Right. Know? 
in terms of uh, like the serenity prayer, they talk about the wisdom to know the difference <laughs> between what I can change and what I need to accept. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And where the issues are really complex and the suffering is really deep to see where allies are, where can I either visualize a girlfriend or a partner or be with them and hear when my voice is self-regulated and I'm making that decision from a place that's slow enough that it's kind and present. Mm. Yeah, so that's a, a, a guiding measure. Yeah. Where can I make the decision from slow enough to be kind and present? Right, right. Yeah, I know for myself that when things get more intense and the energy tends to go up to my head and the mind and there's that racing quality and the, that how do I come back to the body? You know, what are the ways that I can come back to just being in the body? And you have been a primary teacher of that for me just the necessity of that. Hmm. Thank you, John. And even in this moment, I'm like, okay, there's the back of my chair. Let me just feel the back of my chair. There's the back of my heart. Hmm. And I want to be able to rest and see what comes from that heart place when I rest back into my chair and let my heart settle and hmm. feel my pelvis and my feet on the floor and the ground. There's sacred feminine of the earth and the sacred feminine that holds the earth and all of us. And we have some tough work to do. We have some really tough work to do. We need every voice. We need everyone to listen from that deep, place right now and not be swayed by the emotions that are rocking this planet and the um, the fast pace of life, the need to get to the top or be the best or um, have the most. Mm. But where do we meet as humanity in a way that protects this planet and protects the future generations? Hmm. Yes, that's the guiding question. So in your journey uh, with the feminine, I like to ask my guess if they have had an experience of trusting that sacred feminine flow and you've certainly described some of those here but i didn't know if you had a particular story you wanted to share with us hmm. oh many times many times but i would say the healthiest time was not so many years ago, I knew I needed to rest and see what would emerge. And in this culture where 
we do and go and keep going. (laughs) Really different. But uh, uh, many of my teachers are Tibetan lamas, and I've studied deeply the Tibetan Buddhist path. And one of the uh, one of the steps I would say for an advanced practitioner is to do a three year retreat. Wow. And go into the teachings deeply and do continuous practice. And I had several times, three times, gone into the silence for three month retreats. And I love retreat. really trusting that the sacred feminine would emerge in that deep silence. And each time I was profoundly changed in those three months. So I did have a longing for this three-year retreat, but I'm married, I have family, (laughs) and I have my commitment to the people in Ecuador. So I thought about, well, what if I just, my time in Charlottesville, be at home and do practice in the time that I would normally work and be with family after work hours, but still have a deep focus on meditation every day and before bed. Mm-hmm. And I did that for three years. I called it a three-year sabbatical. Wow. And my wish was that anyone would be supported and just in the ways in the olden times that if there was a a yogi or a yogini who said I need deep practice the community w- would actually pay for their retreats they would bring them food they would make sure that they could do that meditation retreat because they knew when one person is doing deep meditation that it holds the quality of peace for the community and the world wow. I- I grew so much in that three-year sabbatical. I moved from being a practitioner, a good practitioner, um, to a to a teacher, a full embodied wisdom teacher. And I I don't know that it would have been as graceful without the divine feminine just guiding me and saying, "Tell everybody you're leaving for three years." It was so hard to tell people I'm leaving for three years. Like when I came out, <laughs> I went to the grocery store. People would burst into tears. <laughs> it missed me so much. And I just wanted to go to the grocery store. My husband learned that it was dangerous to go to the grocery store with me because we'd be there for so long because I couldn't get down the aisle. <laughs> But it really spoke to what it took to disengage myself as a community activist, as a social um, change person. You know, I was deeply connected to community in so many ways and to extricate myself because I knew that was required for my journey, for my spiritual journey to be able to have the resource to take this next step and to say to people, this is important. 
so much love, so much support came my way. It was really, really, really beautiful. And I could feel that support, the hard work of daily practice, daily, um, the physical changes. Often what happens in deep retreat is you get sick. And I did. I got really sick. Mm. So I was held by love. I was held by... <laughs> so, so much and every cell in my body was changed wow peeled away stripped away mm. purified mm. I wish that that was supported in an easier way for anyone who hears the cries of the people Mm. Yes, because so so many of us, uh, particularly women who are in the midst of being wives and mothers or grandmothers or are just intimately uh, tied into their community, find it nearly impossible to to withdraw or I don't know that that's the right word but to rest to retreat right to rest to deeply self nurture for the benefit of everybody yes yeah and to take in that it is for the benefit of everybody that's right and in order to do the biological cellular change it's required mm. Rest. Rest. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I feel the, yeah, I feel the coming into the body more and the gurgling of the belly, which is what happens when we, when we allow ourselves to rest. Yeah. And there's, several things that I'm committed to fundraising for, but one of them is the community organizers can have funds to go into retreat. Mm -hmm. And in Ecuador, uh, now for the past several years, we've worked with the indigenous community women leaders to make sure that they have transportation money and support and all of their expenses paid for 10-day retreats. Mm. And we dream together and we practice together. And I believe we're healing the world together. Mm. Wow. And can you just name how, how did you get involved with the Inepe School? And what is their, their model? Uh, you had said popular education. Can you say more about what that means? Popular education has been a thread in my life from many directions. It came together with the Anepe School by a journey I made to India. Um, My Tibetan Lama, Kenshin Kuncho Gyatsen, was quite ill. And in all the years of his generosity and teaching, to me, unrepayable years of kindness to me. He had never asked for anything, and 
he asked me to come. He asked me to, to come as a body worker. And so I went to India. And my mother had just died, just died. And I needed that time also to go to the sacred sites and make prayers for my mother. So it was amazing timing for me. Uh, pilgrimage to sacred places and to sit with my teacher. Mm. And one day this man from Ecuador arrived in, at the monastery and we spent several weeks together traveling and he was from Ecuador and he became my doorway to this school and my translator and um, many, many beautiful years together of friendship and study, sharing, really, really quite amazing that I had no idea, you know, that was definitely the divine feminine, mm. not knowing, and <laughs> not looking, and not even knowing I wanted it, and even saying, huh, <laughs> how did this happen? And the many years that the school I was so grateful for the somatic teachings, for the embryological trainings, um, teaching teenagers, what is it to come from spirit into matter, into their bodies? Uh, what was it like for their parents to get pregnant? Did, were they wanted? What was the impact of that on their life embryologically in their mother's womb? What would they want to say to their mother? What would they want to say to their father? What would it be like for them to become a mother or a father? Watching that journey take place over these years and seeing these teenagers, now our parents, mm. raising their children really consciously, super exciting. Wow. So when you go there, you are doing these somatic trainings and this embryological work with, with the young people? As well as, as adults or primarily with both. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But my heart is really with the youth mm. and watching them wake up to the gift of their life. So beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Yes. And you've worked with the youth in many ways. I, I know you were my daughter's first practitioner when she was just what? six six months old so yes i work with newborns yes. the the better. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite something to come from there to here and to not lose connection with the divine wow yes yes that's the gift of support ah i see you You've come from the great mystery. I'm so glad I welcome you. Please show us the creative potential of your pure essence. Mm. May you always have support for that. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yes, that, that makes me think that I, I do always ask my guests if there was something they could say to their younger selves from the place of wisdom. So from your place of wisdom and who you are today, what would you say to your younger self? 
So for me, my journey is to say to my younger self, you survived. You worked really hard every step of the way to survive. Mm -hmm. And now your brain stem that got completely wired to survive and for life to be difficult to know that's not true anymore. Mm. You, you did it. You're here. Mm. You're safe. I am safe. Mm. And can remember again that sweet connection with the flow of the sacred feminine, like the river outside my house. I live next to a river that flows to the ocean. Mm. That my journey is inseparable from the ocean of consciousness. Mm. And it's flowing beautifully. And just to trust that that's what's carrying me. Even when life is really difficult, I don't have to work as hard as I did as an embryo, as a prenate, as an infant, as a child, in times of great suffering and abuse. I survived. And that doesn't support me anymore. Mm. That doesn't support anybody anymore. Living in that survival brain, you're saying, once you have made it. Right. Relax, brainstem, rest into the big heart, live from there. Mm. Well, that, I, I think, is, is just the right place to pause and bring this conversation to a close today. It's been so rich. Yeah, so just that if we could all rest in our heart just for a moment, so you, dear listener, and each of us. <sighs> and love from that place. Yes. And love. Yes. Right, and that's where the love flows most, it flows easily from that place, in my experience. Oh, <laughs> be with you this morning. <laughs> well, I'm so grateful you said yes. I, I, I feel like we could talk for days. Uh, there's so much transmission that comes through you that I appreciate. So, And if our listeners wanted to learn more about your work, um, and even if they're in uh, the Central Virginia area, they can find you. Your yeah. website is JanetEvergreen.com. And I know that you sometimes do um, rebirthing yourself workshops. And I, I don't know if you have anything like that. But do you want to name just the kind of things that you teach if, if listeners were interested? Yeah, go to my classes page on my website. And there are 
intensives where people, if they want to travel to Charlottesville, we welcome them to come to these intensives. Or if you live here, I teach weekly classes and I have retreats in Virginia and retreats in Ecuador and welcome the community of our friends. Mm. Yes, I highly recommend connecting with Janet. It will it will change your physiology for sure. <laughs> it has changed mine. Oh, yeah. May it be contagious in all the good ways. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I believe it is. It is it is <laughs> contagious in all the good ways. So I also want to thank you, my dear listener, for being with us. And as always, to trust, remind you to trust what your heart knows. Thanks for listening to Trust Your Sacred Feminine Flow with Joni Advent Maher. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share our podcast with a friend and subscribe, rate, and review our podcast at iTunes.